Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Well, a good Saturday morning to you, baseball people. It is inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. Saturday mornings, 9 to 11, 52 weeks a year, whether there is Major League Baseball or not. It's been an eventful week, has it not, Bruce Levine? Lots of economic conversations, safety conversations, and maybe we're getting a little closer to some sort of agreement to get the game back on the field. Well, first of all, good morning, Matt. Good morning to our great baseball audience. We appreciate you and uh, everybody out there for listening to us as well. And, Matt, you are correct. Uh, For once, we have a model that Major League Baseball and the Players Association confirm is being talked about. Now, how far that model has gone has been uh, up to a certain conjecture at this point. I think uh, it's gotten a little ahead of itself, and we'll talk about that in our next two hours, we'll have conversations with our own David Haw from Mully and Haw on our great morning show. He'll be joining us to talk about Chicago baseball and some of uh, Tom Ricketts' conversation with season ticket holders in a uh, conversation he held on Thursday. Also, Jim Callis, uh, the number one draft expert in the uh, entire country from MLB Pipeline, will be joining us at 10 o'clock to talk about not only the draft for the Cubs and Sox, but more importantly, uh, his thoughts about how this curtailed draft is going to impact Major League Baseball. You are always welcome here at 312-644-6767. Text us at 6711. We are hoping the phone lines are active today and looking forward to talking to you. We've uh, been supplying a lot of uh, information and guests, as we always do, but uh, we, we do want your participation, and we are looking forward to talking to you, the uh, Chicago baseball fan, as to what's going on as well. Yeah, we thought this would be a good day to reach out for some interaction. So do dial it up at 312-644-6767 or text us at 670 um, because there's a lot of confusion out there. There's on, on the economic stuff, which we have tried to diligently dive into and understand as best we can. With the safety issues, as Rob Manfred finally talked about in detail this week, gave us some glimpses into the 80-page, incredibly detailed COVID-19 protocol packet that MLB supposedly has. 
Um, and I think this is a good moment for us to try and um, educate as best we can and certainly have some conversation about it. So dial it up and get involved if you like. I, I mean, for instance, Bruce, there's revenue sharing that has always gone on between the big market, big income ball clubs and every other of the 30 teams in baseball. There's that kind of revenue sharing. And then there's this other revenue sharing between the owners and the players union, which is proposed for the very first time ever in baseball uh, this week by the owners. That's something that exists in the other sports on the books, does not exist in baseball and always made baseball different. But even just that, those two concepts of revenue sharing have been getting lumped together for some people this week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the part where I said as we entered our show today, Matt, where uh, people are getting ahead of themselves is the fact that a lot of people are going by uh, what uh, Tony Clark and the Players Association are saying is that uh, revenue sharing is a, uh, is a form of a salary cap and the union will never accept a salary cap. So that was combined into one big statement. But uh, the reality of the situation, Matt, is that... Uh, the owners and the players have had no discussions on the economics of the game, no direct uh, discussions whatsoever. And I think that has been lost out there where people are already talking about the fact that owners and players are arguing about the economics of the game when the presentation has not even been made, made or discerned uh, at, at any particular time by the players yet. Those discussions are following the initial conversation between the owners and players was based on an 80-page document uh, that Major League Baseball handed over to Tony Clark and the Players Association about uh, how the safety and protection medically of players and people in baseball will be dealt with from their perspective and how mm -hmm. uh, this will be a safe sport to go back to, uh, knowing that there will be positive tests, how they will be handled and all of that going down the line. So that is that was the crux of the beginning of this. This is a this is a a, a certain you know level where this might take two weeks, it might take three weeks. It can't take much more than that, uh, because mm -hmm. a resolution a resolution by June I think is uh, totally uh, a, a drop dead point for Major League Baseball and the Players Association to agree on a spring training and get moving toward it by, at the very latest, the middle of June. Well, I think it's important that you just clarified that because at the beginning of the week, we knew that the owners had a conference call on Monday. We were told they were going to present it to the players on Tuesday. And then we saw quotes from Tony Clark saying that the deal was a non-starter, but that is not, as you say, an official rejection or anything like that. Um, so so th that part was unclear. To your point, and to help make that point, Ian Happ uh, of the Cubs was on with our Lawrence Holmes earlier in the week. This is Ian Happ talking about the current situation, and towards the end of the cut, um, he references the timeline of what the players are dealing with. Yeah, we're starting to hear a little bit, um, mostly on the medical side, about what is going to be needed um, and kind of the protocols and procedures um, for moving forward. Uh, so uh, the Players Association is, is working through those and, and waiting for an official proposal um, from the league, hopefully hopefully by the end of the week, so we can start to get to work on that and, and see where we land. So there's Ian Happ um, yeah. backing up what you're saying, Bruce, by the end of the week. Yeah, so uh, official proposal. 
So in a very generic cut, he says a lot to you, okay? And he should, he should be saying a lot to baseball fans out there by saying that we have not received that proposal yet. We have not sat down and discussed the revenue sharing. We do know that the Players Association is going to ask ownership to reveal uh, their revenue sources and to have a better idea of what revenue sharing would be really all about in the minds of the owners talking to the players. Is it going to be total revenue sharing or is it going to be of certain resources, of certain um, monetized uh, elements of what they receive or is it going to be total? Uh, because this has never been a part of a negotiation before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the total revenues have never been uh, shared with, with anybody. And it's going to be interesting to see um, the political side of that and how that's represented if uh, they can't get an agreement. See, see, right now, baseball should have the focus of the world on the games. This is when the weather's getting nice, it feels lovely, and baseball should have the focus right now for baseball to have the focus on the labor unrest is so ugly. It's just, it's awful for the moment because their system is the most screwed up, Bruce. The fact that there is no openness in terms of the books or some level of openness. Other leagues have at least a third party involved that, that, that helps with the openness between the players and the owners. And then they can have that revenue split that does not exist in baseball and the inequity between the big market money makers and the small market teams that spend less and bring in less, that inequity always leads to massive problems when push comes to shove. So, so push coming to shove in the middle of this horrendous financial moment for the country is just, it, it's, it's really, really awful. I, I hope that this moment does not last too long because focusing on this stuff is nothing that baseball fans want to focus on. Well, that's the difference between baseball and the other sports, as you pointed out, Matt. Uh, it's a free market, okay? It is totally free from any ceiling or any floor or any exact sharing of resources. The NBA shares its 53-47 uh, break on, on, on exact revenues. So the, in, in the NBA, the Players Association knows exactly what revenues are being shared and what percentage they exactly get, those books are shared. So in baseball, uh, you have an open market. So that limits players, obviously, from uh, making uh, more. Your superstar is going to make a lot of money. Uh, The rest has to be fit into that cap. You can't go over it, period. In baseball, uh, there's there's just that limited uh, slap on the wrist to owners for going over a certain amount, uh, you know, with, with that, with that, that plateau. Uh, so mm-hmm. there, there's a there's a huge difference here, and there's a huge difference in the amount of uh, money that Major League Baseball players make compared to the other sports. When you look at the at, at the common player and how much they make and how much they're able to make through the arbitration and free agent system when they get around to it. Yes, yes, yes. So because there is no cap and there is no floor. Then you have this incredibly cheap, low-end, young labor that some teams are forced to constantly have or choose to constantly have as they keep their payroll down around 60 or 70 mil while other teams are up above 200. And so you get 
a very skewed pay scale where the big guys are making 35 mil and you could argue that they're still underpaid because of the value that's out there. But you've got great, great players making two or three million dollars or six hundred thousand dollars like Juan Soto is and, and, you know, things like that. And and if there were a cap and a floor, I don't know that some of these teams would be able to exist, but you would see you would see a, a big jump for the middle class of the ballplayers as well as for the younger ballplayers. Don't you think, Bruce, that that you would see things kind of level out a little bit more for the middle class and the lower the, the, the lower income young ballplayers? I, do, I don't know that all if, 30 if you, teams would survive. Cap, you mean? If there was a, if cap. There was a cap and a floor. Because yeah, if there's yeah. got to be if there's a cap, there needs to be a floor. There, there would be. Uh, there, there would be. Uh, you know, I, I think that you're, you're, you're reading it right, that uh, the minimum salary would be much higher, but the maximum mm-hmm. would be would be in, impossible. You, you would, it would be impossible for teams to have three $30 million players. So that would, in the, the minds of players, that would artificially stop the free market system from working because you're, you're limiting, uh, you're legally limiting ownership to curtail uh, the, the amount of money and players that they they uh, spend, uh, that they, they employ and spend, and therefore uh, you're limiting the ability for players to make a certain amount of money. You're also dividing players uh, in a caste system that uh, they, they don't like. So it's uniquely uh, interesting to Major League Baseball, and therefore that's why you have uh, so much animosity and so much uh, negativity when you hear uh, them talk about each other in these uh, conversations about money and how it'll be split up. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm wondering, and this is why some of these big questions come up at this moment, right, Bruce, is that if this is a moment where the owners come to the players and say, hey, let's do a revenue split, the players, if they're considering should ask, and I think they did ask this week, all right, we'll open up your books. Tell us what you got. They requested a bunch of financial information that they don't usually get. And we'll see if the owners grant that. I would assume they won't. But but maybe this is that moment where this economic system that has plagued baseball at times through the years need gets a massive reshuffle because of this moment in our financial history and our economic history as brought upon by the virus is this that moment when the thing gets rejiggered to a way that's more workable yeah i i kind of like the idea that uh, there's a uh, there's no cap in baseball because it does allow for the individual owner to make a decision on you know it's it's Tom Ricketts, it's Jerry Reinsdorf who can say, you know what, uh, we're going to accept the penalty this year because we're, we're, we're that close to winning and we're going to mm-hmm. add player here, player there. Otherwise, you, you look at the Bulls or other teams in the NBA and you look at them drag on year after year after year and making peripheral trades uh, just to stay within the cap uh, you know, so you can, you can move players, but you don't really, neither team wants those players at all. They're just being shuffled because they they have to manipulate the cap to allow for room for signing new players so from the free the free market situation as a baseball fan you can look at your owner and say all right mr ricketts uh, you said when you bought the team in 2009 with your uh with, with your siblings that you were going to put every dollar that you guys made back into the, the team and you were going to win a world series well 
Tom Ricketts has delivered uh, totally on that promise from 11 years ago. Now, going forward as a businessman, can he continue to, to follow through on that? Or is this about you know more making money rather than trying to win every year? And that's not mm-hmm. just unique to Tom and his family, but to every team uh, that's out there as to how much winning is worth. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, I understand what you're saying. And the Cubs, like, you know, six, seven, eight other franchises in baseball are in a different stratosphere than, frankly, the White Sox and a lot of other teams uh, and, and, and in, in baseball. Um, I just, I, you're right about the NBA and what happens with the Bulls and other teams as they try to maintain a salary floor and never really get good or bad, you know, just to stay in that mediocrity. But I also then look at the NFL, which has a salary cap and a salary floor, and any team might draft correctly and have a chance to all of a sudden be really good. Any team might have a chance to make some signings and be really good. And I think the health of the NFL is at least due in part to the economic parity that Green Bay has with Chicago, right? That Jacksonville has with Los Angeles. 100%, Matt. And you're right on the money. And the reason is, is that almost all of their major revenues are shared completely. Yep. So local TV is a, is a non, non-situation for, uh, for NFL teams. There is no local TV. Every team shares exactly in the big, huge TV package that they get from their TV and radio partners. And that's, that's why the NFL has been so solid over the years. And the solidarity of the teams, the the understanding of the, the Players Association as to where those revenues are at, uh, how much of those revenues can they get their hands on. Uh, that that has been the success of running uh, the NFL teams and, and the way they've gone about it over the past 30 or 40 years. Yeah, it's 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 really it's very interesting, um, Bruce. I know you were listening in and um, had some, uh, and you wrote about what Tom Ricketts. Um, and Crane Kenny and others said in a conference call with the season ticket holders on Thursday, and there was a lot of interesting things that came out of that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about that coming up uh, after this break. Also, David Hall will be joining us at uh, 9.30. Jim Callis at the top of the hour. You as well at 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 670.11. This is The Score. This is Inside the Clubhouse on 670thescore.com. And this hour on The Score is being brought to you by Way Back In. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. 
Welcome back on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Our partner, David Hall, will join us in a few minutes to talk about the news regarding the local baseball teams and everything that's been going on. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline to talk draft at the top of the hour. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine on Inside the Clubhouse. And Bruce, what jumped out at you from Tom Ricketts um, and company doing a conference call or a Zoom call for season ticket holders the other day? Well, two things jumped out from this uh, hour-long call that Tom had with season ticket holders on Thursday evening. Uh, Number one was uh, Tom talking about uh, how the revenue, the major part of Cub revenue is derived. And then, of course, Crane Kenny talking about uh, the deal with Marquis and how close that might be. So let's start uh, let's start and, and we'll continue this conversation with David uh, Haw as well. Matt, let's start with uh, Tom Rickett. So he laid out a plan uh, for season ticket holders of the three essential things, uh, the three PowerPoints that were in his mind about getting baseball back. Number one was a safety issue. So he, he spoke about five to seven minutes to season ticket holders about how the medical that MLB's plan and, and the Cubs plan would work for protecting players, for isolating players in the ballpark, for limiting the amount of personnel in the ballpark uh, that's around there just to uh, keep in uh, content, uh, context with what the, the governor and the mayor are talking about as far as social gatherings. And uh, he talked about the safety and then the economics and then the political partnerships he has Uh, the Cubs have with uh, the mayor and the governor. So the economic part was the one that stood out because he said that uh, although most people have uh, offered over the last couple weeks that revenues by the owners uh, for ticket sales and game day operations normally monetize around 40%, in some cases 50%. Tom talked about how the Cubs, uh, the lion's share of the money that they get is 70 percent of their um of their revenues from game day operations so that is a huge number a huge number for a team that uh arguably uh grosses somewhere between 450 and 500 million dollars up to this point i say matt up to this point because we don't know how the marquee network is going to help continue that monetizing we assume there's going to be an increase as the years go on, maybe not initially, uh, in the monetizing uh, of the local television revenue. Right. There's, so there's a couple things in there. As you say, Rob Manfred said 40% for the owners is from day of game stuff. That's an average across the entire league. It has long been the case that there's like a big five, um, maybe mm-hmm. six, franchises that make dramatically more than most of the others in terms of day of game revenue. The Red Sox are are one of the kings because of what they've done in building all around Fenway Park. They own Lansdowne Street. They own hotels and bars all around there and expanded things around the ballpark to create all these like party areas. And that's what the Cubs followed so famously. And, and the Cubs are another because of the plaza, which is a gold mine and Hotel Zachary and all of that, 
which is all of theirs. The Yankees with their premium ticket prices is a big one and their TV deal. Um, the Dodgers with their TV deal and their premium ticket prices for the big shooters in L.A. The Giants average about 30,000 season ticket holders, and maybe they don't make as much as they used to because they haven't been quite as good, but they're one of the big ones. The Cardinals make a lot. Like, there's, there's five or six teams that make the Lions share, and then they share it through the ownership revenue sharing with Tampa Bay and with Florida, with all these other teams that make nowhere close to that. So I, of course, don't know whether it's 70%, but it is definitely a, a, a lot more than 40 for the big, big market teams like the Cubs because their day of is, is vastly different than, than most other ball clubs. I've been told uh, over the years that it's gone from 2.5 to $3 million per game. See and and, so and, and think so about that. Gives that. You, that gives you a that gives you a, a strong idea of what it is uh, right there. That's anywhere from uh, you know you know times eight times 80, 81 games. That's somewhere between two hundred and fifty uh, two hundred and seventy five million, depending on the year and mm-hmm. uh, how this you know the, the cup ticket prices are very high. Uh, you know, but um, they they're also a better seating bowl at Wrigley Field than there is in almost anywhere in baseball as far as being close to the game because it's an old-time up-and-down stadium like uh, Fenway is, uh, like to a certain extent Dodger Stadium is, and that's it. Every other stadium yeah. in the world, the viewpoints, even though they look good when you go there, everything veers out to the sides and moves east west north or south whereas these stadiums have the up and down view that allows you to have better seating better Mm -hmm. sight lines than anywhere else in baseball well and and think about all the investments that have been made in the ballpark and around the ballpark since the rickets has decided to 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 keep and stay and invest themselves they own the rooftops Right. They they proceeded to buy as much as they could build all the stuff that we mentioned and then all the premium seating things, whether you like them or not. The Catalina Club, the the Jim Mm -hmm. Beam Club. Right. Um, Gallagher Way. Gallagher Way. 1914. um, The the club. I mean, all that stuff is because when there are games, they can bank on the numbers that you just referenced, Bruce, when there are games and when there are not games. They and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox get hurt a lot more than the other teams. That's one thing that I think has been striking to kind of learn this week and realize is that the teams that might do best in terms of breaking even or at least surviving this kind of year are the Rays and the Marlins. Like those kind of teams that don't count on game day revenue are the ones that are in their better position. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, we, we have uh, other people that want to chime in on this, and we have a, a really good one, don't we, Matt? Yeah, we do. Uh, our, our great teammate um, from the morning show is with us. He joins us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. David Haw from Mully and Haw, which you can hear every weekday morning, uh, starting us off on the score. Uh, nice enough to join us on a Saturday morning to discuss Chicago baseball, a passion for him as well as us. David, good morning. Morning, guys. Enjoying the conversation. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. So, you know, we're picking it up with the, the Tom Ricketts right. uh, conversation with uh, the 
the season ticket holders on Thursday evening. He and Crane Kenny, uh, Colin Faulkner, uh, Warren Fritz, all the uh, top officials for the Cubs uh, had their time with uh, the Cubs. Uh, David, give us your your take out of that and uh, what stood out to you? What were the what were the, 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 the flags and the red flags from what you heard? Okay, so I think, it was, as you pointed out, it was really smart of Tom to address the season ticket holders as he did. And I like the way that they came up with the bullet points. You know, safety, economics, and then local politics. Because anybody familiar with the Cubs situation with uh, Wrigley Field in, in, in Chicago understand why local politics is part of that equation. So that was good messaging, and I think we'll get to that in a second, guys, but I, I, this is all about messaging when we're talking about the players versus the owners and this critical negotiation that we're in the midst of. As for the numbers, I, as we talked yesterday on our show, Bruce, I think that the, we need to look further or continue to keep that in mind because I would like to know a little bit more about that high number because 70% is a ton. And if you look at the Forbes numbers, and we don't have the open books because that's just Major League Baseball reality, right? Forbes and uh, the last valuation of the Cubs when they were worth $3.2 billion, $471 million of that was the revenue from 2019. $200 million of that was from ticket sales. That was 42%. So the other that would, that would mean then... For to get to the 70% threshold, there would have to be another $130 million in revenue generated from non-ticket sales, which is conceivable, but seems like a high number. I'm not questioning necessarily the Cubs' math, but I do think it underscores why the players want to see the books and also how in these big markets and when you have a, a, a destination like Wrigley Field, as you guys are pointing out, there is much more to that experience than just the, the price of the ticket. And I think when you're talking about the Cubs, it's certainly that is a big number and $130 million in revenue potentially every year. Wow. So that gets us to the last point real quickly. Why the players, why this matters? Well, the players feel like they were going from a prorated salary to a 50-50 split, and the Cubs are projecting they're only going to make 15% of the revenue that they made last year. Well, that, if that's the case, if that's the case, then they, they are really looking at the reduction in like down to $70 million. And then you cut that in half for the payroll, and a guy like John Lester goes from making you know from 20 to 10, which would be half of his normal salary, to like three and a half million dollars, which would be a percentage of his of his payroll based on the percentage of their revenue, you can understand why there's so much consternation on the player side. I respect the Cubs for spelling out in the way that they did to season ticket holders, and this is just going to be part of the ongoing conversation. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, David, and I think that's that that's well stated and and summarized from you. I. I genuinely can understand the human perspective of both sides here. You know, it's like if I were a player and I were risking my health and coming back and, and, and the owners I feel like have been making way more than I've been allowed all yep. these years and I am the product. You know, replacements are not existing. It's not like you're the factory job or some of these other jobs or even our jobs that people come back to or if you don't want it, someone else will do it. It's not like that. You are the product and have been taken advantage of on some level, depending on who you are. So I understand where they're coming from, but 
I think the context of what a big market team deals with when there are no games and there are no fans like the Cubs is understandable. I guess I don't find myself with sympathy for the owners, but I do find myself with a, a better understanding of why they're fighting as hard as they are. Does that make sense? Without without a doubt, it does. And I think that you do have empathy for both sides based on them trying to get the message out without sounding insensitive to the to the situation we're all facing. And I think that's the problem the players face this week is that everybody understands the risks that are involved in, in every walk of life. And certainly baseball is for our amusement and for our enjoyment. And if you ask Scott Boris, it's our patriotic sense of belonging hmm. is at stake here. But when you have Blake Snell and, and Bryce Harper going on their Twitch feeds and talking about getting the Rona and why they're not going to play for th- – you know, millions of dollars when people are out of their jobs and wondering how they're going to pay their rent. That's bad messaging. And when you contrast that with the way, for instance, that Tom Ricketts locally addressed the season ticket holders and nationally the commissioner went on CNN and spelled out a, a plan for the to, to protect the health of the players and talked about testing and talked about uh, bullet points. You can say whatever you want about the owner's side of it and, and Rob Manfred himself because he's not been the greatest communicator. But the contrast in messaging and polish and the cohesive message and knowing what you want to say and how to say it, it was, it, you could not, it was undeniable uh, this week because the players have to get their act together, have a unified message, attack the points of this that they have the biggest concerns with because the owners are out in front here understanding the, what they want to stress and the order with which they want to stress it, beginning with health, and I think that was smart on the on the uh, owner's uh, behalf. David Hall joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here for you every week, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball from 9 to 11. David, of course, a part of our great morning show, Molly and Hall, every morning from Monday through Friday. David, uh, the the one thing that I you know I normally separate sports. Uh, athletes and the everyday guy because it's the entertainment field. But in this case, uh, I can't, I cannot. And and Matt very well points out that, um, you know, players are both the, uh, the worker and the product, which is so unique to sports. And we've talked about it on our show before, but in this case, uh, don't get the money confused with the health issue. Uh, there's no difference for me between the baseball player going back into a healthy environment and a CTA driver uh, having uh, being afforded the same type of, uh, of medical attention and ability to do his job. So uh, normally I, 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 I separate those, but when it comes to life and death and this particular virus, I, I cannot do that. So uh, the perspective of the players uh, as you guys point out, is the key for me. Uh, the perspective of the owners as well, because as the players say, they're the ones with their butts on the line going out there, risking contact with other players and knowing that they could contract the virus. But uh, so does the CTA driver. So do the uh, medical people on a daily basis going into tough environments. So do the first responders. So this one's a little different for me. I respect that, Bruce, and I think that's understandable. There are two things that come to mind as you were talking. Number one is that you're right. Players in, in who are playing a game for a living are no different in terms of taking on the risks of, of your, you know, I guess, rank-and-file um, person who's living paycheck to paycheck. The only thing that I think this 
maybe they're facing that maybe your typical worker, if he or she still has a job, doesn't, is that I think Major League Baseball outlined a, a policy, a protocol in the 80-page document that they talked about in that these players are going to have testing in place. They're going to have things like testing, tracing, and treatment that will be available to them if they do come back and play baseball, if they do if they are able to come back and make a living. So I think some of those safeguards that you need before you get to the point in your mind, before you entertain that risk, they have to feel more comfortable than maybe your average worker does at his or her workplace because Major League Baseball has outlined a policy that sounds like, sounds like that it is protecting some of those safeguards and addressing some of those risks. And, and the other, only other thing I'd say is that Major League Baseball players have to do a better job of articulating what you just articulated, Bruce. And I think they haven't done that. And that's my bigger point is that if you want to attack the owners at coming off uh, away from the deal that they struck on March 26 because of the caveat in the agreement and the language when you parse it and everything in the fine print that allows them to go from a prorated salary structure to a 50-50 split, that's where you attack. You don't necessarily attack and, and hope to present yourself as your typical everyday worker because I don't think that's going to get as far in everyday society in the, in the midst of what we're in because people look at baseball players differently than they do the bus drivers or the factory workers or the people who are, you know, the healthcare workers who are essential workers in, in society. So I think those are the two things that, um, that came to mind as you were pointing those out, but they are very, very good points, and, and I understand where you're coming from. Hmm. You know, we're talking with David Hall right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. David, my my personal hippie sensibilities and and can we all be um, can we all get along um, ethos is often at war with capitalist society. And as I think about I bring that up because like baseball is a free market. And baseball is unique to the major sports and having no cap and no floor and having some organizations that spend $210 million on payroll and some organizations that spend $70 million on payroll. And we've all gotten used to that and worked with that, and it replicates American society to an extent. But I don't know that it's the healthiest way to run a sports league because when push comes to shove, it gets really, really ugly. And I'm wondering... Is the NFL healthier because it has a cap and a floor? Is the NBA, even though some teams suck at doing what they do, is it healthier with a cap and a floor? And should this be a moment when baseball players and owners come together and have a realization that, you know, capitalism is going to suck for this for our future. We should we should even it out a, a little bit more for the health of the sport. It's tremendous awareness, Matt, I think, in, in that Major League Baseball has to uh, – can't just summarily dismiss that idea because here we are and you don't know what the future holds and in that uncertainty you have to face the reality and the possibility that if they don't play baseball in 2020 there could be four billion with a b uh, dollars in losses and when you suffer any industry suffers four billion dollars in losses you have to be willing and open-minded enough to understand how to rebuild and um replenish your your industry and i think that might be part of the conversation the nfl is what it is partially because of the salary cap that you mentioned and the floors and the ceilings and start starting to talk, sound like jerry angelo thank you um but when you talk about the nfl it's a tv show and the television rights drive yeah. that league 
in a way that doesn't happen in Major League Baseball, which is more dependent on the day-to-day, you know, ticket buyer and and the person who's sitting in the box seats or in the in the outfield bleachers. The NBA to a lesser degree, but I think that when you talk about baseball and you look at the haves and the have-nots and who benefits every year because of what they have and who can't possibly because of what they have not, then it's time for that conversation, especially at these critical times. Look, Bruce knows this. I think I don't even know if Tom addressed it, but and I know you do too, Matt. I'm just saying three to mm-hmm. five teams face extinction if if we don't get baseball back in 2020 because of the bottom line realities that they're facing in Florida and other places, you just can't guarantee anything. And when you don't know what's next, you have to consider what's possible. And what's possible is trying to change the whole salary structure. If that is part of the discussion, I would think that they would welcome it for the good of the game. You are listening to David Haw. You hear him with Mully on Mully and Haw every weekday, Monday through Friday. Don't miss our great morning show. David, uh, Matt and I really appreciate you taking some time out on a Saturday morning. You always add a lot of fun and intellect into anything that you do, and, and we appreciate it. Have a great day. Love the show, guys. Keep it up. Take care. Thanks. All right. Thank you. That's David it's Haw. David Haw. Mully and Haw. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the show is always smarter and more interesting when David's on. You think um, it, it, you, you think that that owners would even consider um, that it's a moment to to go to that kind of system to go to more openness, like the players asked for this week, based upon the revenue sharing. Would the owners want to do that, or would they just kind of rather that the teams that cannot afford to do it find themselves extinct? Well, if Bernie Sanders was the commissioner of baseball, maybe you'd have a point there. <laughs> and maybe that's, that's what he's going to seek. But when we have, a, uh, when we have a, a true open system like Major League Baseball as compared to the uh, socialistic other leagues that we have, um, yeah. I, I think there's a difference. And that's why there's all this great discussion and that's why there's all this uh, information that uh, we want to seek. And that's why the confusion and the... Uh, lack of understanding by the by the fans out there because it's a total free system. It's it's yeah. the beauty of what uh, our country is basically all about. Uh, that that uh, any guy can get as much money as he wants and there's no limit uh, according to the people that they work for. Uh, Texters getting in at six seventy eleven. Uh, one of them says, "Good vibes equals compassionate capitalism." Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for, Bruce. It's just <laughs> those words. Uh, those words are not. They don't go together. They, they, there's no simpatico when it comes to those two words, right? Oh Compassionate God! You know, ideally, zero chance. Zero. Oh, oh zero. boy, can dream. A oh, boy can dream. <laughs> uh, it's inside the clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. Jim Callis on the MLB draft, speaking of capitalism, uh, coming up at the top of the hour. And boy, I wish we were talking about um, ground balls and bullpens and and errors and, and league rules someday, someday soon. Right, well, Bruce? When you talk to me, there's many errors involved. So <laughs> do not worry. We'll, do over, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll continue on no matter what. We'll go over more of them on Inside the Clubhouse. That's next on 670 The Score. Welcome back on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 to score. Matt Spiegel here with you, along with Bruce Levine. Hey, Bruce, if we do get games, Universal DH 
makes all the sense in the world to keep the pitchers healthy, right? You think that's something that would stick longer than this one little half season in baseball? Yes, I do, because uh, besides National League owners, the players have long been for this because of the fact that it adds, uh, in at least in theory, another high-priced player to the mix, okay, to mm-hmm. uh, push forward uh, the higher salaries because DHs are normally power hitters, RBI-type guys, uh, slug guys, OPS guys. Therefore, uh, adding that would just add, uh, at, at the very least, an idea of a higher-paid uh, player to go along with it and just to uh, help inflate uh, what what salaries are. And so the, the union's long been uh, supportive of uh, a universal DH. Personally, uh, I would like it to see it go the other way, but I don't think that's going to happen. And to answer your question directly, yes, yeah. I believe after if we do have a season this year and they use it, that that will be uh, picked up uh, at the very uh, latest after 2021 when the new CBA is discussed and hopefully uh, ratified quickly. Yeah, that'd be a shame to see the loss of the different kinds of, of baseball. I enjoy that there's both. Um, I, I enjoy that there's a National League style and an AL style, and we still see the existence of some of the stuff we get to enjoy. Um, but it all it ends up going back to the economics, right? It's like if they can add another high-priced player, then it will drive up salaries for all. That That's the way it works. I feel like the... The low-income, younger baseball players have been sold a bill of goods by the the the, the high-priced guys, and they just keep they keep kind of selling the the young guys out as we go. Maybe this is the cycle, right? Like the ones who are making the 30 to 35 mil and those agents keep selling out the earning capabilities of the young and cheap guys as the generations roll forward. Well, and we'll be talking the draft with uh, Jim Callis, the expert from MLB uh, Pipeline. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour and that that's an interesting concept if indeed they've sold out the younger players even further with the accepting of these new draft rules for 2020 uh, that that is certainly a basis for what you're talking about Matt but uh, otherwise uh, you know separate and divide is something that uh, you know ownership wouldn't mind very much in a union uh, and when you get to these contentious times where uh, money is being lost and uh, players uh, you know, the, you know, guys making $222,000 a day uh, losing their salary as opposed to uh, guys that are, are, are making uh, $500,000 for the whole season. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's when you start, that's when you start rubbing, you know, rubbing people the wrong way. And that's, that, that's something you have to watch as these negotiations go on. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. We can't escape the economics. Boy, we try sometimes, and it just it's it's difficult right now in this particular moment. But uh, looking forward to talking to Jim Callis. He's he's the best from MLB Pipeline. We'll do that next right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.